What a wonderful time to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Before we turn our attention to God's Word, let us ask the Lord to bless our time as we hear and respond to what He has to say. Uh, Lord, we are so thankful to be gathered here on campus and those joining with us online. Lord, at this time, as we just read your word, Lord, as we meditate on uh, the power of your word and the truth of your word, Lord, we ask that the Holy Spirit of God go before us. Lord, give us a divine revelation. Lord, also give us uh, an amazing uh, divine passion uh, to live that truth out in our lives and to see that truth be lived out in the lives of those around us. Lord, you are worthy of all praise and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would, open your Bibles to uh, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, we will be in verses 8 through 13 this morning. If you're joining with us on campus and you do not have a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to look underneath the seat in front of you or underneath the seat uh, that you're sitting in. There should be a blue Bible there. I would encourage you to open that Bible to page 1095. Uh, 1095. As you're uh, opening up your Bible or getting uh, to that passage of Scripture, uh, back in December, which seems like a very long time ago, does it not? Uh, back in December, uh, I think it was December 12th to be exact, uh, we uh, as a church family affirmed uh, five new deacons to come on to our deacon ministry team to help uh, serve the needs within our church uh, body and also around our community. And here's those gentlemen. Uh, and today's extra special because one of those gentlemen, Peter Hull, uh, we are going to be ordaining him into the deacon ministry uh, for the very first time. And so at the end of this service, towards the end of the service, you will be uh, a part of that celebration to see what God is doing in and through his work. And not just uh, Peter Hall, but man, his, his amazing wife that uh, is so faithful uh, to the ministry here at Charleston Baptist Church. Uh, an amazing woman who has dedicated many, many years uh, serving uh, in our kids' ministry. And so to see uh, Peter and Linda work together in what God has called them to do in and through uh, this church has been quite amazing. And so we get to celebrate uh, that today. And I'm also very thankful for our, our entire deacon ministry team. And so here's a picture of them. Uh, and uh, for all those who are, are married, uh, and just the faithfulness of uh, their wives, and just the ministry that God has called them to. And, and we, we are great beneficiaries of that work, of what God is doing. And so not only uh, are we blessing them, but they are uh, blessing us. The question is, what, you know, when we think about deacons, uh, what is a deacon? Uh, the Greek word for deacon just simply means uh, a servant. So in a, in a general sense, guess what? As a follower of Christ, you are what? You are, to some degree, a deacon. You are a, a servant. Uh, and that's important because when we look at uh, deacons, specifically in the New Testament, there are uh, 17 occurrences where uh, the word deacon is actually in the feminine sense, which is uh, talking about deaconesses. And uh, that's important, uh, meaning that this is not just a, a male uh, job, if you will. This is, this is the body of Christ. Uh, and now, that begs another question. Why is it that at Charleston Baptist Church, uh, we only ordain the men? Uh, listen, first and foremost, that has nothing to do with value or priority, right? Not at all. In fact, I'll say this. If it wasn't and isn't for the faithful service of many women from days in the past, days today, and Lord willing, days in the future, Charleston Baptist Church would not be where we are today. Uh, because the faithful service of not just men, but also uh, women... It has to do with function. How is the church functioning? How is the church, uh, the leadership of the church? And, and by the grace of God, we are a pastor-led church. That is very, very scriptural. And, and as a church, we choose to nominate men to be ordained into the deacon ministry to come alongside uh, the pastors to help carry out the vision of the church. 
Uh, so the church nominates men and the pastors approve of those men and not just men but if they're married we look at uh, the wife as well of that particular um, husband and we say are these individuals going to help carry out uh, the the vision of the church and the ultimate vision of the church regardless of the methodology regardless of the type of ministry we we have it's it's about the glory and the honor of the lord now that's important because when we come to first timothy first timothy is an amazing book for the church when it comes to leadership uh, here is, uh, think about the Apostle Paul for just a moment. The Apostle Paul goes to uh, Ephesus, and, and he goes to Ephesus on his second missionary journey. Uh, he spends roughly three years there. Uh, he plants a church. And during those three years, he's mentoring uh, a man by the name of Timothy, young Timothy. And that's why we have 1 Timothy and also 2 Timothy. And uh, he mentors uh, Timothy, and, and uh, shortly after that, the Apostle Paul leaves. And about five to seven years have passed by. And unfortunately, in the life of the church there in Ephesus, things began to kind of unravel, if you will. Uh, false teachers had become be coming into the church and began to uh, cause chaos, not just doctrinally, but in, in how the church is unified and really the function of the church and displaying uh, the glory of God, not only within the people of God, but also uh, into the community in which they lived. And, and so uh, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, listen, you need to reestablish biblical leadership. Because biblical leadership is key and, and central to the life of the church. And so what he does in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, is he talks about uh, pastors or elders or overseer within the church. Uh, and then in verses 8 through 13, he talks about uh, the importance of uh, the deacons, those who are leading servants within the church, those who come alongside the pastors and help carry out the vision for the church. And so let's read the passage, and then we'll unpack it together. Uh, beginning in verse 8. Uh, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Verse 11, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So this morning, we want to ask and answer two very important questions. But before we get there, here's what I want you to know. When we think about pastor, overseer, elder, or deacon, or deaconess, we're not talking about some higher level of Christianity, right? We're not talking about the elite of, of the body of Christ. That's not what we're talking about at all. We're talking about those who God has specifically called for a specific purpose within the church to help edify, encourage, and build up the church for the glory of the Lord. And guess what? You're a part of that too. And so it's not this idea that uh, I'm never going to be a deacon or a deaconess, so I'm just checking out. No, this, the, the character qualities that we look at when we think about uh, an elder, an overseer, or a deacon or a deaconess, th these are characteristics that you and I strive for. The purpose of the elders and the pastors and, and the, the deacons uh, in many ways is to help leverage everything that God has equipped us with, everything that God has called us to, to help point people to Jesus Christ. And guess what? You're just as a part of that as we are. And so I want to encourage you, don't check out because of the subject matter that we're going to talk about, but understand this, leading servants in the church are a huge, huge blessing to not only our church family and to our community, but ultimately to the kingdom of God. And so the first question that we want to look at this morning is this, what are some of the characteristics of a leading servant, a leading servant. Again, 
pointing people to Jesus, right? So there's going to be application for all of us this morning. What are some of those characteristics? Uh, The first one uh, that Paul addresses in our passage this morning is a leading servant points others to Jesus by how they live, how they live. So the way that you live your life uh, has the opportunity to point people to Jesus. The verse, uh, verse 8, the first part, the scripture says, deacons likewise uh, must be dignified. And he also attaches that same uh, terminology with uh, the wife if the deacon is married. Uh, in 1 Timothy 3, the first part of verse 11, he says, therefore, or, their wives likewise must be dignified. Now he uses the word likewise to talk about uh, in a similar way or in the same way, and that's pointing uh, us back to verses 1 through 7 where Paul addresses the overseer, the pastor, or the elder. And so in a, in a very real sense, the same characteristics that we should be looking at for, for an elder, or an overseer, or a pastor within the church are the same characteristics that we're looking for when we think about leading servants in the church, if it be the deacon or the deacon's wife. And, and Paul uses an amazing word. He says that we are to be dignified. Now, when we think about the word dignified, here's what we don't want to think about. We don't want to think about somebody who's stuck up and arrogant, right? Uh, we don't want to think about somebody who, when they drink their coffee, they have their pinky up, like, I- I'm just part of that crowd, right? That's not what we're talking about. When we're talking about uh, someone who is dignified, we are talking about someone who is humble, humble and has godly qualities, godly characteristics, and it's in that humility and the characteristics of Christ in them and through them that they are what? They are attracting people to a deeper fellowship with Jesus Christ. That is so, so important. And so a person, a deacon or a deacon's wife who lives to worship God, that's what we're talking about. In other words, they take their walk with the Lord serious. It means something to them. Why? Because they understand the beautiful gospel weight of reflecting Christ in and through their lives. That's why Paul says in verse 10, the first part, he says, and let them also be tested first. The word tested here means to examine. It's the idea of watching someone over a period of time. Uh, So they just don't show up on the scene two weeks ago, and then all of a sudden they have this great leadership influence within the church. That is wrong, right? Again, we're not talking about someone who has great charisma, right? We're talking about someone who is Christ-like, right? We're not talking about someone who seems to have the most gift, right? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about someone who expresses godliness in and through their life. And here's what I love about people who are humble before the Lord, who seek to glorify the Lord, that even in their worst days, and guess what? We're going to have them. There's still uh, that, that sense that they, that they want to honor the Lord and how they go about restoration, how they go about reconciliation. Uh, the word tested is in the present tense, meaning it's not a one-time deal. It's not that we look back 30 years ago and say, oh yeah, that that person, you know, they had a heart for the Lord. No, it's about today. What is happening in their life today? And this, because life has so many seasons. Do you you agree? And some seasons are very, very easy compared to other seasons. The question is when that season of rough time and that season of easy time, at the end of the day, what is your ultimate goal? Are you here to reflect the Lord? So this idea of testing is, is a reminder to to all of us, but specifically to deacons, that your, your life will always be examined. And in fact, anytime we come into a place where somebody is moving up in leadership within the church, it doesn't matter uh, if we're bringing somebody on staff and they're a female or somebody that's being ordained as a deacon or a pastor or whatever, one of the questions that I ask him is, or her, are you ready? Are you ready for the spiritual battle? Are you ready for the warfare that is coming your way? Because it will, it is. Satan wants to do everything he can to attack the integrity of the church, right? 
to, to cause chaos when it comes to the centrality of the gospel. And so one of the questions that I ask is, are you ready? Because guess what? Everybody's going to be looking at you. Uh, in fact, in a, in a pastor's home, you know, my, my children say that all the time. You know, not all the time, but sometimes. I wish I wasn't in a pastor's home. Everybody's looking at me. And I say, listen, you look to Jesus. That's the only thing that matters. Everybody's going to have an opinion, right? Now, if they're right, you need to acknowledge that, confess, repent, and have a renewed trust in the gospel. But if they're wrong, that does not destroy your identity whatsoever, right? And so we encourage them. Being in a pastor's home is a beautiful thing. Uh, in fact, for me, it is very uh, humbling because I know that if, if I come here on Sunday morning to share God's word with you, and, and my own family can't look at me and say, that's a shepherd. That's someone who is teaching us the word of God, living the word of God. I have no business teaching that to you as well. So it's, for me, it's, a very, uh, it's for accountability. And so when we think about deacons uh, being examined, tested, uh, part of that is accountability, and that is a beautiful thing. Uh, Paul goes on to say in the second part of verse 10, he says, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. So the word blameless here doesn't mean someone who is, uh, lacks sin in their life, right? There's only one person who is perfect. His name is Jesus Christ. It means that we're without accusation. In other words, that we, we don't live a life to the degree where that slow fate of wandering in the wilderness is so continual that we're so far away from God that now we're a hypocrite and, and there are people in our lives that look at us and say, that's exactly why I'm not following Jesus, right? And so that idea of accusation is very, very important. It means not living in a way that would harm the testimony of Jesus or the ministry of the church in the community in which it serves. Again, it doesn't mean that that individual is perfect or their spouse is perfect. It means that when they are wrong, right, they go about the process of restoration and reconciliation. Why is that important? Because the people who can help you the most through ministry can be the very people that hurt you the most in ministry, right? Think about the life of any church. When the leadership is off course, if it be uh, the pastors or elders or overseer or people in leadership as far as deacons or deaconesses, I mean, there, there's a lot to gain there, but there's also, in a, in a sense, a lot to lose as well. And so that is very, very important. As a follower of Christ, this is the question for you. Does your life attract people to Jesus? The way in which you live today, does it attract people to Jesus? Not, not just when I'm at church, right? That's key. I've done enough counseling with people who have had A-game family members on a Sunday morning, but man, scored an F all throughout the rest of the week, Right? And in fact, I was reminded of that by my sweet wife back in the day before I was a pastor. I was leading a, a Sunday school class, and, and on a Saturday night, evidently, I said something that was hurtful. And, and by the grace of God, she called me on it, right? And she said basically this. She said, I, I wish people knew the real you. That's tough. She said, I'm tired of everybody else getting your A game, and we get the leftovers. And by the grace of God, I was not in the flesh at that moment, because I would have said something that probably would have caused great harm in our marriage. But the Holy Spirit convicted me that my primary ministry is in the home. And out of the overflow of that ministry, the church family gets the benefit of that. And so it's a reminder to me, and it's a reminder to all of us, especially deacons today, is what you communicate at 13 Sam McGill, what you communicate in your home. Is it how you treat your wife? Is it how, uh, if you're a young person, uh, how you go about your life at school or, or in the workplace? All those different things. When you're all by yourself, right? Is the way that you live your life reflecting Jesus. Listen, the only way that we have the capacity to do that doesn't come from our own strength, right? It comes from the strength that God provides. First Peter 4.11, the scripture says this. Whoever serves is one who serves, how? By the strength that God supplies. So we have divine strength. Praise God for that. 
And then he says, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So not only do we have the design strength, but we have a design, a divine focus, right? Our focus is not to receive the glory, right? Our focus is that Christ receives the glory by the work that he's doing in and through our lives. And it says, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So again, is your life, by the way you live, making Jesus attractive? As you depend on his power, as you focus on his glory, is that what is attracting people to Jesus? A leading servant points others to Jesus by how, lead, how they live. Secondly, a leading servant points others to Jesus by the words they say. Uh, the words they say. So twice in our passage, Paul mentions to Timothy the importance of speech and the characteristics uh, that should be a part of that. And he does that by saying, this is what you should not be doing with your mouth. He says in uh, verse 10, the second part, he says, you are not to be uh, double-tongued, double-tongued. The idea of twice spoken is this idea of being two-faced, deceitful in your, in your words. Uh, you say one thing with one group, you say another thing uh, with another group. And, and why is that important? Uh, because one of the main roles that our deacons have is what's called care groups. They, they are to help meet the needs within our congregation. They are, they are assigned specific individuals uh, to, to pray over, to encourage, to reach out, to make sure there's anything we can do to serve them. And, and guess what? In the midst of those conversations, they, they may receive some confident, confidential information. And so it's important that they understand the weight of how to handle that confidential information. And, and not just the, the, the husband... But if they're married, Paul attaches it also uh, to the wives. He says in the second part of verse 11, they are not to be what? Slanderers. This means you're not given over to gossip. That you're not being led by spreading rumors, if it be true or false, right? Uh, spreading lies. Again, the word slanderer reminds us that that is a description of who? Description of Satan himself. Satan is known as the accuser of the brethren. Uh, slanderers are those who falsely accuse others and try to cause disunity in the church, right? Again, part of the role of a deacon and a, the spouse of a deacon, if they're married, is to help uh, keep the integrity of that unity uh, together. So don't say one thing uh, and then say another thing to somebody else. Uh, don't say something and then do something drastically different, right? Be a person of your word. In other words, with our speech, people should see Christ in us. Paul writes in Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as it is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Listen, we're not talking about robbing truth from a situation, right? But in the midst of communicating truth in the situation, it needs to be coupled with grace, right? That is very, very, very important. And so there are going to be hard conversations. There are going to be hard uh, places where you have to interject the beauty of God's word, but you do so with great truth, and you do it with amazing grace. So think about speech, and we live in a day and age where it's not just spoken word. In fact, I think people have lost sight of the importance of the spoken word, right, in one-on-one -on -one conversations. So think about text messaging. Think about uh, what you type in an email or, or what you uh, post, and, 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 and not just the activity of what you're doing, but what are you attracted to when you go to social media, right? Think about that for just a minute. If you go to social media so you can get dirt or you can get a one-up on somebody else, you probably need to get rid of it for a little while, right? And so the idea is, is making sure that your words, in whatever form they are, that they're building up, encouraging, not tearing down. So as a Jesus follower, do my words reflect the words of Jesus? Do the words that I speak, do they reflect my new identity in Christ? Do they reflect what Christ is doing in me and through me? Do I keep my word? Do I speak the truth? Am I about upholding the reputation of Christ within the church? So a leading servant points others to Jesus by the words they say. And then another, the last characteristic we'll look at is a leading servant points others to Jesus by the wise choices that they make. The wise choices uh, that they make. 
So think about wisdom and how important that is. So it's not just about having biblical knowledge. It's about how to apply that knowledge in life's circumstances. And so when we think about wisdom, we're not talking about what is it that the the world thinks is wise. It's what does God's word say is wise. And Paul mentions uh, really three areas of life that we are to examine when it comes to uh, the ability to make wise choices. Uh, He's going to talk about desires, and specifically he talks about alcohol. Uh, He says in uh, verse 8, the second part, he says that they are not addicted to much wine. Again, I think the overarching understanding is to to know that, that we all have desires, right? Uh, but he focuses on alcohol for, 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 for a reason. Evidently, alcohol was a major issue in that particular church. And, and, and think about it culturally. They, they, the church is in Ephesus, uh, where uh, the overindulgence of this particular substance, substance was not only accepted, but it was encouraged. In fact, it was the way that many of those who came out of uh, false religions uh, into the family of faith in Christ because of the work of Christ, that that's how they worshipped prior to that. And so they were starting to bring that back into their worship of the Lord. And so they had uh, these overindulgences in this area. The other thing is important is uh, the, the use of alcohol in the New Testament. One of the primary uses was a medicinal purpose. And so you had these uh, deacons that were going house to house to care for people. And one of the things that they would bring with them is alcohol to help treat medicinally the things that were going on and so they had access to a lot of this stuff now think about that for just a minute god has given us tremendous freedom in christ right but with that freedom there is extreme responsibility and just like any good thing regardless if it's food entertainment sports education all those things if we take a good thing and make it a god thing it becomes an idol and guess what all idols are what? They're bad. And so it's, I think Paul is addressing a great category here, that all of us have certain desires in life. The question is, are those desires staying under the submission and control of the Holy Spirit, or are those desires coming to a place where they are feeding the flesh, and as a result, turning you away from the goodness of the Lord? Are you enslaved to the flesh? If you're enslaved to the flesh, guess what? You're worshiping the idols and not worshiping the Lord. Paul mentions the area of money. Third part of verse 8, he says, and not greedy for dishonest gain. So in no way is the scripture teaching us that, it's, that you cannot be financially successful, right? That's not what the scripture is saying. The scripture is telling us, though, how are you getting there? What is your method of being successful financially with, in your terms? Is it dishonest gain? Is it something that is being done manipulative? And, and, and again, think about kind of the, the situation with deacons as they care for uh, the people in the church. Uh, they're going to hear information. They're going to be around people that, that may be uh, up in age, if you will, right? And some of that information is going to be shared probably. And so the question is, what do you do with that information? Are you trying to take advantage of the individual? And, and, and unfortunately, that, that happens all the time. You'll see people take advantage of people because of what they can get from that individual. And it doesn't just start when you get older and you're ministering to somebody who is older. Guess what? It's how you work, your work ethic today. So your first job may be at Chick-fil-A, right? Are you doing that job with integrity? If you're not doing that job with integrity, guess what? You will keep moving and moving and moving to another career, another place, and you will take that same selfish, sinful habit to that occupation. And not only will it breed into that occupation, it will begin to breed into the life of the church. And so the question is, be honest with how you're handling your finances. Not just being a good steward of your finances and the resources that God has given to you, but how are you going about obtaining those 
uh, finances. And so again, uh, when you genuinely love people, right, it's not about what you can get for them. It's what you can give to them, right? And so that's what Paul is addressing. And then Paul mentions the area of family, family. He says in verse 12, uh, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their own households well. And so this is, this is a big verse because there's a lot of different ways that people uh, look at this verse. Uh, at the end of the day, the Greek says it very plainly that you are a one woman man. In other words, your thoughts, your actions, your mind is focused on your spouse. If you're married, you, do you cherish your wife? Do you wash her with the word of the Lord according to Ephesians 5? Do, do you see her the way God sees her as a treasured possession that you are there to honor her and, and, and serve her, right? Some people will take this and, and, and move it to different ways. Right? If, you've ever, if you've ever been divorced or, you know, whatever, then you automatically are disqualified from this position. I 100% disagree with that. Why? Because I do think the past matters. But the past isn't ultimate, right? I mean, who does not have a past here today? I mean, look at Paul, of all people. And yet God raised him up. God changed his heart. God transformed his life to be an amazing ambassador of the gospel. And the same is true for you and I today. That yes, we have a past, but praise be to God, I have another story. It's the story of Christ in me. This passage is all about the heart, right? So just because somebody hasn't been divorced doesn't mean they automatically qualify. And just because somebody has been divorced doesn't automatically mean they've been disqualified, right? It means that we look at the heart. We examine the heart. We consider the entirety of that family relationship. And, and the scripture talks about their own households well. So we need to understand that we're not just talking about husband, wife, children. Because in ancient times, during these times, it would be the extended family that would live with them as well. And so how do you carry out all of your relationships that you're involved in? In other words, is Sunday, again, a true reflection of what's happening in the home? But that is so important. And so Paul says, when trouble comes, when conflict comes, when rebellion comes in the home, and if you're a parent, guess what? It's coming. How do you manage those situations? How do you reflect Christ? How do you honor him with your words, your actions, and your, the guardrails that you put on with grace and truth with your children, even if your children choose to rebel and go a different direction, right? Again, this doesn't mean that we're perfect. Right? There's not a single perfect parent here today or a grandparent here today. The question is, what is our ultimate goal? Is it to honor the Lord? So when you take these three specific areas, Paul is implying that others should be able to look at your life, and my life, as it pertains to uh, how we uh, handle our desires that God has given to us and the desires that come about. How is it that we handle finances? How is it handle uh, our relationships? And are we pointing people to Jesus, right? Now, we may have some differences on how to apply that scripture. I think that's okay. Again, the main objective is what? Are we truly trying to honor and reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people that we're around so that they will come to faith in Christ and that they will follow Christ? Uh, Paul says in verse 9, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. That's why that's big. That means they need to have a good grasp of the gospel. This doesn't mean that they necessarily need to teach. Now, that's one of the qualifications for an elder or a pastor or overseer. But they need to have a good grasp of the gospel. The word whole means to possess. It's in the present tense. So that means to continually possess the beauty of God's word. To understand how to understand truth, but also to apply that truth. And that's important because we live in a day and age, just like many other days and ages in the past, that, that people are all about devaluing, distorting, and discarding the word of God, right? 
And so we, as the people of God, specifically our deacons, need to have uh, hold to the truths of the gospel, and the scripture says, with a clear conscience. A clear conscience. Uh, the word of uh, talking about conscience talks about uh, kind of like that inner uh, testimony that, that the Holy Spirit gives to you. In other words, when I'm in disobedient, when I'm disobeying the Lord, does the Holy Spirit of God still have residence in my life to where I am sensitive to that rebellion or to that deviation of God's word? Right? So the question is, if I keep going down a path of disobedience, guess what? The Holy Spirit of God will begin to have a less and less effect on my life. Right? And so the question that Paul is residing is, it's not just about having uh, people on the outside looking at your life and saying, hey, you're the reason why I don't follow Jesus. The question would be, what is the inside of my life saying? Is my conscience before God clean? Doesn't mean I'm perfect, but what do I do when I have sin in my life? Do I have a healthy cycle of repentance and confession and renewed trust in the gospel? He says to the wife as well in verse 11, be sober-minded, faithful, in all things. So that sobriety of the mind, to have a clear conscience before the Lord, to know that the gospel has rule and reign in my life. And I love what the scripture says, that faithful in all things. It means to be dependable. It means to be reliable. It means to be trustworthy. And the, the phrase there, faithful in all things, talks about in every sphere of your life. In your commitment, speaking of the wife, in your commitment to Christ and his word, your duty to the family, your witness to the neighbors, in all your relationships, in all your responsibilities, faithful. Faithful, that's what the scripture is talking about. In both of these verses, how it pertains to the man and how it pertains to the wife, it reminds us of the importance of what? Understanding the truth of God and continually applying the truth of God so that we will make wise choices. That's an area that we continually grow in, right? Because again, we're not perfect. And that leads us to our final question this morning. What are some of the results when leading servants serve well? What are some of the results? Uh, Paul addresses two specifically here, one in, uh, both of them in verse 13. One is honor. Talks about honor in the first part of verse 13. Paul says, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing uh, for themselves. That word good standing refers to uh, great influence, right? I mean, think about that for just a minute. I mean, I don't know about you, but I love being around people that have a good influence on me. Not to point me to the ways of the world, but to point me to uh, the things of the Lord. And here's also another reminder. That those who have tremendous influence in my life, pointing me to Jesus, it's not about a title, right? It's about the character of God in them, working out through them. So again, this is not about the title. That title does come with accountability and responsibility, but it's about how is that person leading you to the Lord? So when we lead well, there's great honor. I love what D.L. Moody says. He says, we may easily be too big uh, for God to use, but never too small, right? Humility is a prerequisite for honor. Uh, Jesus himself says in John 12, he says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servants be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will what? Will honor him. Our greatest honor comes from the Lord. And it's a life that is lived with humble faithfulness to him. Man, think about that. To hear those words one day, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. Leading servants also, when they lead well, uh, there is freedom. There is freedom. That's the second thing that Paul mentions. He says in the second part of verse 13, and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So he talks about great confidence in the faith. The, the phrase there, great confidence, talks about assurance. It talks about courage. It talks about boldness. It talks about vulnerability. It talks about an openness. And when I couple all those things together, you know what I hear? I hear someone who is living life as a Christian free. 
free in the Lord. I love what uh, J.B. Phillips says. He's a, he's a pastor and, and wrote a lot of commentaries on scripture, and he says this uh, concerning verse 13. He says, those who do well as deacons earn for themselves a certain legitimate standing, as well as gaining confidence and freedom in the Christian faith. Listen, when you are truly seeking to live a life that honors the Lord, truly uh, seeking uh, to make choices that honor the Lord and that your words that you say, uh, that truly the reflection is to honor the Lord, man, there is tremendous freedom. I was reminded of this uh, yesterday. I'll try not to get too emotional, but about a week and a half ago, a, a young lady uh, passed away, 34 years old, a dear sister in the Lord, just getting to know her, married, eight-month-old baby, passed away. And just spending time with the family and just uh, with mom and dad and the in-laws and, and her older sister and her husband and uh, her young child and just spending time with them. Man, and, and I said, I, I don't have words to say. But I was reminded yesterday at her funeral when her dad came up to share. And he said, one of the things that I kept hearing all this week was I don't have words to say. And he said, from a human perspective, I totally agree. I totally understand. But he said, we do have something to say. And he lifted up his Bible. He said, we have God's word. And he said that he began to hear God's word and see God's word from a perspective that he had not seen for a very, very long time. And what I saw as this broken brother in Christ began to share was a man who was free. In the midst of tragedy, in the midst of heartbreak, in the midst of anguish, in the midst of all those things. Here's a man who stood in front of hundreds of people, lifting the word of God high, and courageously and boldly sharing the good news of the gospel. And that's my encouragement for you, that when we choose to be led by God and to lead people to the Lord, guess what? There is great freedom. As a follower of Christ, our greatest blessing isn't found in our giftedness. It's found in our godliness. Why? Because our greatest blessing is Christ in me, Christ in you. you know, Jesus himself came to serve, not be served. And though it is true that oftentimes this walk of faith, this humble servant life rarely gives the earthly rewards that you feel you deserve, or maybe you think you've even earned, but you will always have eternal reward in him. There is great freedom in living a life that reflects and honors Jesus Christ. And I just want you to think about your life for just a moment. As a follower of Christ, do you honestly, as you examine, do you honestly desire to live a life that reflects Christ in you? Do you honestly desire to have the words that you share with others, even in difficult situations, be that of the words of Christ in you? As a follower of Christ, when you think about decisions that need to be made and convictions that God has given to you and how you apply those convictions to your life, do you truly desire to reflect Christ in you? And so I'm going to pray for us, and the altar will be open for, for you to pray.